Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! Welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions about sending engagement gifts after the wedding, (laughs) how to handle people who talk too much about themselves, mother-in-laws not respecting names, and it's back, another question about ordering pizza. Plus your most excellent feedback on divvying up the pastries at work, your etiquette salute for the week to make you feel good, and a postscript segment from my cousin Dan on the philosophy of etiquette. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Yesterday was kind of fun. We had a reporter from Edible Magazine, which is a Vermont-based magazine, really focused on local food and just local everything Vermont. But obviously, with the title of Edible, we're talking about edible food. (laughs) The food focus was apparent. Yeah, it was apparent. It was awesome. And it made me want to eat. It made me want to eat. It also made me look in that magazine and say, boy, there's a lot of cute men in this state here. (laughs) You like the farm guys. (laughs) I do like the farm guys. I do. Classic, like, country girl. But what I loved was it was a really fun conversation. I love it. Anytime we get a chance to really sit down with a a reporter and have the personality come out, and I think that they really get the essence of what Dan and I run Emily Post as and kind of the attitude we want it to have, it's really nice to be able to exchange that with a reporter in person. And Maria was awesome. She was. She was a good interviewer. And I also enjoyed doing the interview with you. Every once in a while, we get these opportunities to do something that's not the podcast, where we do something together do an interview, something. And I do think it represents the the Emily Post Institute well because we do get to interact like we do on this show, which is, I think, a good way to let people in a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. I was curious. Her first question was about the pressures growing up in the Post family. We get that one a lot. We do. And very quickly, we were talking about the consideration, respect and honesty framework, about how etiquette is about practicality and like everyday use and and making people feel good, not making people feel bad. All the things you hear us say on this show all the time. (laughs) Maybe four or five questions into the interview as if that first question had been coming out of left field. And we kept having to sort of loop back and remind ourselves that there are these associations where people feel that pressure or have a real rules-focused association with With the whole concept of etiquette. Yeah. It's always nice to get the chance to break that stereotype down. Um, And it's always nice, too, to get a chance to talk about where some of the rules come from and that they are linked to traditions. And it's okay to break traditions. It's okay to change formalities. It's just it's a communication that you need to make apparent and intentional when you do it. And so it was it was a fun conversation. The whole title of the magazine is actually Edible Green Mountains. 
But I would say that please check it out this fall when it comes out. We'll try to post a link or do what we can to get it under people's eyes, into people's eyes. No, into their hands, in front of their eyes. <laughs> Keep an eye out for the holiday issue <laughs> of this Edible Green Mountain. This is why we Mountain. let Dan do it. <laughs> But our listeners here probably want us to fill their ears with some good etiquette advice. We could do our best to try, right? Let's get to some questions. All right. We're going to take a quick break for a call out and say that Awesome Etiquette wants your support. Our little show wants to keep growing and we are determined to be here for the long haul. If each of our listeners gets one person to subscribe and listen to the show, we will double our audience size, and that would be awesome. Or if you love the show, please consider leaving us a review or sharing our show on your favorite social media channel. Thank you so much for your interest and support. And now, on to your questions. Awesome Etiquette is so pleased to be answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. I totally copped to, to having this problem myself, this next question. It's titled The Sloth. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. It's been so great to get to know you through the podcast. I work from home alone as a baker. So you two have been my BFF since I found out about Awesome Etiquette. Yay! I love having friends. I was so excited to hear when I went back to the archives that Dan is a fish fan. That's P-H-I-S-H-P-H-A-N. His and Pooja's wedding sounded amazing. I've been marinating myself in all your great advice, hoping that some of it soaks in. I hope we are a good flavor. I like the writing here already. My question is about an engagement gift that I still have sitting on my table. The only problem, the wedding has come and gone. It was in early June. These friends live in Utah, where my boyfriend and I lived before moving back to Vermont. Yay! Two years ago, when I found out the friends, also fish fans, got engaged... I asked for their address to send an engagement gift, which I bought and wrapped, but then never sent. I feel awful. We were graciously invited to the wedding, which was beyond awesome and had so much fun celebrating with the couple and reconnecting with friends we haven't seen in a while. Now the gift is haunting me. I want so badly to send it, but I can't think of what the card should say. Oops, found this laying around. Sorry, happy engagement? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I want to tell them what a crazy two years we've had and how busy we've been, but that feels like making excuses and not a nice thing to include in a note with a gift. Please help. Lizzie, hook me up with a sample script. Dan, play a dark fish song that matches my dark gift hoarding soul. Best the sloth. I love it. Me too. Did you title this question or was this a self-title? No, it says best the sloth, so I used the sloth. I thought it was a great question. It is a great question. And um, I'll just take a little moment to acknowledge, yes, I was at Sugarbush in 95 and Aladdin's Castle in 96 when you grew up in the 90s in Vermont. But are you in a fish song? I'm in a fish song. (laughs) All right. All right. I'll cop to it. It was dedicated, not written for me. Liz just happened to rhyme with is. And that exact scenario from Wolfman's brother played out in a car one day. Well, and you (laughs) may or may not be aware, but our cousin Casey was at Amy's farm. Even before you and I were were imagining such things. Exactly. Uh, Well, fish is definitely a post-family favorite. 
Uh, but okay, we we obviously listener problem here. I have this problem all the time. Engagement gift. You've come and gone to the wedding. I'm curious whether they sent a wedding gift or not. It but sounds like maybe. I think maybe. I think we are okay on the wedding gift, but the engagement gift is the problem. And I love, I'm just picturing this gift wrapped sitting like on a corner shelf somewhere. And now it's grown eyes and like a glaring brow line. And it's starting to menace its teeth and things like that at our listener each time that, that he or she passes by it. I think most people can imagine some version of this problem. You've right. got something for someone. And for whatever reason, the process of getting it to them proved more difficult than the inspiration of the thought of getting it in the first place and now it's there sort of an ever-present reminder of that in action so sample script i first of all send this gift absolutely send the gift who doesn't love receiving a gift have confidence sloth send the gift but i would say a sample script don't use any of your excuses I say keep it clean, keep it simple, keep it short, and just say, I have been meaning to send this for forever. I am so sorry that the wedding has even come and gone at this point, but I really wanted you to have this gift. It was intended for your engagement. I hope you enjoy it. End of story. Yeah? I think some good humor, uh, a light touch. My thought here is there is no shame where there is no shame. So if you don't feel that shame yourself and you don't project it into this situation— you're going to be in pretty good shape. I think we have to tell the sloth don't feel the shame because I feel like the sloth is feeling the shame right now. And and he or she does not need to feel shame over this. I mean, it's funny. It's easy. Send the gifts. Send the note. Keep it clean and simple. There's something about our own inaction that seems <laughs> to inspire incapacity. Guilt. <laughs> to continue to move forward. And it, it, I think that starts to compound the problem. And you're right. It is so easy to, to, to let that go and, and take that action that's been calling to you. The, the only potential problem is if there was a painful memory, if there was some real difficulty that you were bringing up. But this isn't one of those no, situations. No, this isn't one of those cases at all. This is happy celebratory. People are going to be stoked. They have a kind of gift coming out of the blue, but not really for them. That's awesome. The Sloth, we really hope this helps, <laughs> but we want to encourage you to send this gift on. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is titled, would you please, oh, do we read this out loud? Do we say it? It sounds so harsh, but it's there, but it's not, but it's there. I was calling it our impolite title. Yes, it's our impolite title and it's titled, would you please shut up? Hi, Dan and Lizzie. My best friend and I love discussing etiquette. It's been something we've bonded over for years. When we discovered your podcast, we spent weeks going through episodes and sharing notes. My question today is about people who talk at length but say little of value. I come across individuals like this in professional settings, and I have to see them quite frequently. What is the etiquette when dealing with people who won't stop talking about themselves so much that you can't get two words in? How do you end the conversation without being rude? Is it out of place to let them know that their communication style should be streamlined? Thank you for all that you do. I feel absolutely inspired every time I listen to the two of you. Sincerely, tired of being blown at. Dan and I are raising our hands going, me too, us too, me too, us too. We don't like these people either. (laughs) And sometimes they're your good friends. It happens to all of us. We have a moment where we're caught in our head where our monologue is just kind of flowing out of us and we have forgotten ourselves in a conversation. We've forgotten to let other people share a story that's similar uh, from their perspective or to ask a question or to do anything, you know, anything, but to make this feel like it's a two people participating thing uh, conversation is is really important. And it's so easy to let that slide. And it's very easy to get in the habit of letting it slide. And the next thing you know, you're this person that tired of being blown at is speaking about. So ironically, one yeah. of the rules of good conversation is to avoid me tooism. <laughs> <laughs> To avoid responding, me too, me too, me too. And it really is a natural instinct to relate things that we hear about to ourselves and our own experience. And it is a challenge and it is a a sign of, some would say, sophisticated conversation skills to be able to keep a topic of conversation about the topic of conversation and not about oneself. So that that is some basic etiquette territory that it's good to lay out. So how do you address that? What do you then do? Well, you don't respond to rudeness with another rudeness. So you don't call them out on it. You don't call them out on it. Dan, I'm really sorry you talk about yourself too much. Can I be part of the conversation? There is no sample script that I can give or that Dan can give or that our great-great-grandma could give that would make that one work. So what do you do? So how do you... Elevate your game and hopefully draw the whole situation up into that place where you want it to be. You can get out of a conversation. You can excuse yourself from a conversation. You mentioned their professional context here. This is a professional situation. So part of the skill here might be, I don't want to say grin and bear it, but figuring out how to put on a game face and do the best you can. If you do want to challenge yourself, I had a couple of ideas. Okay. Thoughts that started to pop here. I had thoughts too. I'm not sure they're helpful. (laughs) One was you might try to drive the conversation into territory that interests you. (laughs) Keep bringing up things that are topics that aren't necessarily about any person that's involved. And just keep doing it. Keep doing it. (laughs) And 
Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a hobby or an interest in the arts. But just keep introducing topics of conversation that hopefully allow people to to think about something other than themselves, to talk about a shared interest or discover a little something about something they don't know already. My cousin is giving such good advice, and I am sitting here laughing silently on the other side of the mic because – I have tried some of this. I recently had a friend who was going off about their perspective, their situation. And at some point, like, I started popping in with questions about other things or trying to say, so tell me about this other thing going on in your life. Or, hey, we should really get together and do, like, just trying to break this this verbal kind of run that I'm getting was ignored completely, had no chance to multiple times in the conversation I tried to break us away and it wasn't happening and I gave up. I just said, you know what? I'm just going to let this person keep typing away and keep sending these messages and I'm just going to read them and clearly they're in their own place right now. I'm going to try to bring my perspective or a different conversation or a different story to this person another time. They are just clearly not in a place to be able to allow me to really be part of this conversation. You might encounter that. You might. Like, I had to give up. Another thought. Yeah. And I, and help, I heard it kind of out. hinted at there. I was also thinking about sort of redirecting the nature of a conversation about the person themselves. Okay. And you said ask a question. Yeah. So I was thinking to myself, could you ask a question that took the story out of story territory and into introspection territory or Ah. into analysis territory? So a question like, and how did that make you feel? And I hear my wife, the therapist, do this sometimes. And she starts to try to shift the the state of mind from just repeating the story and the kind of actions of it to trying to get but wait a second aren't you then just inviting them to talk even more about themselves maybe a little bit definitely but again if you're working with a situation where that's the nature of the conversation that's what's going on like where we've given up and just said we're we're in this with you why don't we just be in this with you full force I'm sitting here nodding. And <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> it definitely is is not easy. This is one of those challenges. And the art of good conversation is an art. It, there are no hard and fast rules. Conversation is an improvisation. Mm-hmm. It happens in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's about a toolbox that you bring to that improvisation. And the more tools you have in your toolbox, the better that conversation is going to be, the more options you're going to have. And some people have different size toolboxes. And I think part of the skill of sharing good conversation is about sharing some of those different tools, some of those different skills. And we learn good music by playing with people that are better than us. We learn any good art by participating and doing it with people that bring more to the table or have more experience in that territory or in that medium. And I think this is one of those places where... You approach it as a challenge rather than as a problem. Okay, so I have a potential solution. What if you tried to redirect this conversation? Let's say you're going to go for the redirect. You're really going to push push heavy for the redirect. I find people can't resist giving their opinions. So what if you tried to, when you're encountering this person or these types of people, what if you asked for their maybe professional opinion on something, like invited them in to comment on something about you and your world or your experience Mm -hmm. so that you're kind of standing up for yourself and making it about you a little bit, you know what I mean? Which I don't think is bad in this situation. But you're also doing what I think the other person needs a little bit, which is to be able to be invited to talk. You know what I mean? So you're going to try to kind of use the fact that they're a talker 
to then get the subject matter to be something that you actually might be more interested in or at least break up the monotony of the subject matter being only about them. We started this advice by saying drive the conversation to topics that are of interest. To you. And I think (laughs) – and hopefully to 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 everybody involved. And this is one way to maybe mine that territory, give a little permission to participate in that territory. Sometimes when we're teaching conversation skills, we talk about cultivating a curiosity about the world that you live in, about being interested in the world. It makes you more interesting. So having some topics that you like to talk about so that you can draw someone into that territory and that you bring your genuine curiosity about those things as well. I think that's another way to model that behavior that hopefully is going to start to create, build some common ground that you're going to enjoy a little more than what's going on currently. So this isn't an area of etiquette where there is a specific answer, but we hope that these answers will give you a chance to try something a little different. And we expect that this will probably be a conversation we keep having in the future as more people write into us about these difficult situations. And people I'm expecting are going to give us some good feedback about this one. So please, if you know how to deal with someone who is long-winded, let us know how you've been successful at uh, kind of rearranging or managing those types of conversations. It's courteous to be brief. It saves time and makes your conversation more pleasant. And then, too, you can learn much by listening carefully. Be a good listener. Our next question is about mother-in-law motives. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. First time, long time, since your dinner party download days. Love the show and the awesome insights and advice you provide. Aside from your wacky American opinions about keeping shoes on inside the house, which (laughs) to this day mystify me, this is not a common practice in Canada. When my husband and I got married several years ago, I did not change my last name. At the ceremony, there was no, I now introduce Mr. and Mrs. Husband's last name announcement. Thank you cards went out with our names on the return address. I made no changes to my email or social media accounts, etc., Still, as it remains the default for a woman to take her husband's last name, we initially received mail and correspondence from people who incorrectly assumed I had changed my last name. Gradually, most of our friends and family have caught on, and now the vast majority of our albeit very limited mail is properly addressed. With one big exception, my mother-in-law continues to address mail with my first name and my husband's, her son's, last name, or even worse, Mrs. and Mr. Husband's first name and last name, a convention that bothers me tremendously. She knows I did not change my name. I believe this is a passive-aggressive move on her part to show her displeasure about my not taking her family's name. I find it disrespectful. Perhaps it is petty, but it really bothers me that she insists on addressing mail in this way. After receiving her most recent piece of mail, I asked my husband to talk to her about it, but he is unwilling. I suggested that I could send a quick text requesting she revise her mailing information, she uses printed address labels, to us to reflect my actual name, but got stuck on the wording and never followed up. I was hoping to get your thoughts on this matter. Is my mother-in-law committing an etiquette faux pas? Should I let it go or ask her to respect my decision to keep my name? A sample script would be much appreciated. Miss Wife's first and last name. You are <laughs> <laughs> Miss Wife's first and last name. Thank you for writing in. This is a really tough one. Um, we actually get quite a lot of questions about mothers-in-law, and uh, we, we try to be very fair regarding them because I think mothers-in-law get a bad rap, and I I would love to change that image because I think there's a lot of really great relationships out there. But then there's also situations like this. Which, okay, first thoughts on this. Yes, it is rude to not use someone's name correctly. I mean, it is rude. Your mother-in-law is being rude. 
But it's a mother-in-law that we're talking about here, your husband's mother. Very important character in all all three of your lives. Um, important relationship to be respectful of and considerate of. Someone who is in age senior to you, your elder, often in American and, I will say, Canadian culture. We respect our elders. These are the things you're grappling with, is that this is a difficult relationship situation where you have a particular grievance that is legitimate, And yet it is a really hard one to move forward with confidently because if your mother-in-law is doing this because she finds it unacceptable that you didn't take or is insulted by the fact that you didn't take the last name. Remember, I'm sure she did take her husband's last name. So she is a Mrs. So-and-so and and probably was liking the idea of you being the next Mrs. So-and-so. And... She is trying to show that. She may just, you said she uses printed labels. She may just be trying to use up the printed labels. That's a possibility. I would say that you can certainly broach the subject. You can always say, you know, I I didn't know if you were aware. I didn't actually take John's name when we got married. And my name when using our address is Ms. So-and-so and and Mr. So-and-so. And that could be one way to go. You could also consider to just let this slide. And just simply say, I'm not going to get into this with my mother-in-law. Even when she does something insulting to me, I'm going to say this isn't the battle I'm going to fight. It's up to you. From an etiquette standpoint, what matters is that you feel like you can handle whatever solution you choose to move forward with. So you may be confrontational enough where it's okay for you to reach out and go for this. You may really not feel comfortable doing that, in which case you'll play the card of, I'm going to let her get her way on this because it's just too much difficulty to go the other direction. Dano, I just like launched out a whole like left, right and center attack on this. What do you think? I, I Not first, to use such brutal language. like, but <laughs> First of all, I'm loving hearing your thoughts. Oh, OK, good. Thank you. <laughs> I, I had gone right to sort of a two prong solution, how I would approach getting this corrected because like you I really think the question of how you're addressed is important I don't think it's rude to help someone get your name Good right language <laughs> I I do think it's a faux pas to address someone incorrectly to do it repeatedly to do it intentionally I think strays out of that faux pas territory and we try so hard not to assume negative intentions but what I really liked <laughs> about your answer was that you were reminding yourself that it might not be intentional that the relationship is really important and I hadn't had the third option in my mind of letting it slide yeah. but you might and you might do a cost-benefit analysis and One thing that I did hear you say that sort of inspired a thought in my mind was that this mother-in-law comes from a different generation. And you might say to yourself, you know, from her perspective, she sees this differently than I do. And that might help create the space in your mind to make that allowance if the cost side of the cost-benefit analysis is too high. And that might be about being the bigger person in this situation and letting her operate from the frame of reference that she operates from and just saying that's, that's who she is. That's where she's coming from. That wasn't the place I originally thought of my answers. And I, I had a twofold thought here. Yeah. One was that you might revisit this with your husband. I if love that idea. He really is the person who's going to be best able to address this with his mother for whatever reason. That you might go back to him and talk to him about how much it means to you, why it's important, both being ready to explain your feelings and your reasoning, to talk logically about why this matters to you, but then also to talk about how it makes you feel. I just have an idea for that conversation might be worth in that conversation with your husband to really try to consider the person you're upset with's perspective. 
and to show this kind of middleman, your husband in this case, that you're willing to see that perspective, but you still hold the opinion that you have. Be ready to hear him out. Yeah. Be ready to talk about that cost-benefit analysis and your willingness to be flexible in terms of how you find an approach, what that approach might look like. There's no need to be insistent about how he helps, but you can definitely ask for it. And I think that's a, one part of a two-part solution that that I would consider. The other is that I do think you're in really good shape to talk to your mother-in-law about this. You mentioned in your question that you stumbled on the wording for the text. Part of me is really glad that that text wasn't sent because I think this is a conversation that is better handled in person. I think that it's it's just tricky enough territory that I think it's worth giving yourself that fighting chance, if possible, to address it personally. And I think that all of the rules that apply to having any difficult conversation apply – that the more you can do to prepare yourself ahead of time, both in terms of your reasoning and your emotions, is is really going to be time well spent. It's going to serve you well. Practice that language out loud. See how it sounds. Practice with a friend. Test it out before you you go to the mother-in-law who's such a valued and important relationship in this marriage, clearly. Try to keep it light. Try to keep it from becoming accusatory. Try not to hint at that suspicion that this is passive aggressive behavior. Uh, Wizzy gave some sample script language. (laughs) I I love the idea of trying it out because oftentimes I try out my sample scripts on the show and realize just how terrible they are. But my my sample script language involves a priming (laughs) sentence, usually something along the lines of there's something I've been wanting to talk to you about. So that the person already knows there's something you've been thinking about, that it's something that you want to talk with them about. You can ask if it's a good time. You can not. You can just say, you know, there's something I've been really hoping to talk to you about, and I thought now might be a good chance. I love it, Dan. That's great sample language. Be clear. Be direct. I've made a choice to keep my family or maiden name, even though I've gotten married. I love your son dearly. I love being part of his family. But it matters to me that I use the last name of my birth family. I would really appreciate it if you would use the name Mrs. or Miss, your name, when you write to or address me. That's simple. You're you're, you're asking her to do it and you're not telling her what she's been doing is wrong. You're just giving her the information that she needs. And I like the idea of including uh, an acknowledgement about the respect and the love that you have for her son and for their family. I like that too. And when I had given the suggestion of acknowledge the potential of her perspective. You don't want that to come across as assuming her perspective, but you can give a nod to, I know that it's a tradition that a lot of women appreciate taking the husband's last name, but I also know that I grew up in a generation or with a perspective that's different from that. And I'm just hoping that you can respect my perspective of it and would be willing to address letters to John, again, just picking a name, John and me using my name as I've kept it. I hope that this gives you a couple different avenues to pursue Ms. Wife's first name and last name and that you feel confident moving forward, however it is that you decide is the best way to proceed with your mother-in-law. First time, long time. We really hope this helps and that you continue to enjoy the show for years to come. It was hard telling Pete about his mother so he wouldn't think of it as a counterattack. And I tried to be fair about it. I could see that I'd been on the defensive and, well... It was Pete's mother. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this question's titled, Pizza at it again. <laughs> Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a huge fan of the show. This weekend, when I was preparing for my wedding, I offered to buy pizza for all of my family that were helping. When I was taking orders for toppings, my sister requested a calzone for her family. <laughs> I told her I was just getting pizzas because it was cheaper and it was easier to do that than having several different orders. Ultimately, it wasn't a huge deal to get her something different, but it was a stressful day, <laughs> evening before wedding, and I just wanted to get people fed. What was the appropriate behavior for all parties here? Thanks. I love that pizza is back in, in etiquette territory. Again. There's another twist to the pizza <laughs> topping question. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this one to me seems like you can always accommodate people when they're being, I would say, choosy. I won't say picky. Choosy. But I also think I, I just come down on the side of no. I think you're you're purchasing the pizzas. It's a busy day. Your sister should not have made this request. Plus, you now have the issue of the calzone shows up. And sure enough, some little cousin is going to want the calzone. And you didn't plan enough calzone for anyone outside of your sister's family. And keep it simple. My quick answer. Yeah. No one taking offense at anything, yeah. which is oftentimes the best approach. She can ask and you can say no. I love it. <laughs> You really shouldn't be asking for more than someone is offering you. Right? <laughs> that when someone offers you something, you don't say, yes, that would be great. And could I have a little more, please? You can, oh but it's sensitive territory. It gets into potential faux pas territory. Okay, but let's throw this into the mix because it's part of the truth of this territory. This is a sister. Like, I I don't know. If we, if we were all ordering and we're at a family event and I get it, it's like rehearsal dinner, basically, like for setting up for this wedding. But like... Let's say Will was ordering a bunch of stuff or Anna was ordering a bunch of stuff. Maybe you had pizza the night before and you're like, hey, do you think we could do a salad and a calzone? I still agree with you that the host has the chance to say, um, totally get why you'd want to. No, I'm going to keep it simple. But I also think like it's really normal for this ask to pop up among siblings, I would think. What are you pointing at? Uh, I, I wish you could see Dan across the mic today. He's so animated. Because I agree with you. Oh, cool. I, I think that <laughs> there needs to be some territory for that informality to enter the situation okay, and for good. you to help guide a some host permission? into good territory. Yeah, okay. So I had some thoughts about ways you could ask to modify something that's offered and keep it polite. Okay. So my thoughts were you should acknowledge that you're asking for a modification. Okay. Give an out in case the person doesn't want to make the modification and not pout if they don't accept it. Daniel Posenning, what an awesome structure. I'm loving it. You just, I'm going to sit back. You just answer this question, man. I know you just asked about pizza toppings. We just had pizza last night. Is there any chance we could get a calzone? I totally understand if you don't want to do it. Oh, just like that. The man is on point with his sample scripts today. To me, I'm more inclined to say, yeah, sure, I'm happy to order you a calzone. If I hear that, then if I hear what I want's a calzone. Right. I am curious now how Sue's sister actually said this. I think it would matter. Yeah. And I do think that it's nice to have those options because 
there's the basics, but then there's also the ways that we play around those basics. Yeah. But I think that there's a way to make this ask and both make it more polite and make it more likely by making it more polite that you're going to get the thing that you want. I also liked your idea that, you know, you could just accommodate someone <laughs> and that, that there is that option to as a host. If you feel able to do so and feel good about it, if you aren't going to feel used or trod upon or taken advantage of, I'm happy to order a calzone (laughs) is, I think, also a very reasonable thing for a host to do. So there you have it, Sue. Depending on the actual ask that your sister made, we kind of debate about whether this was done well or not. You were asking what's the appropriate behavior of all parties. I think if your sister asked in the manner that Dan uh, so eloquently put forth that I would say that probably was a really great ask in an easy way and you would have been in fine stead to say no or to say yes. And I think that you as the host were definitely doing the right thing of thinking about getting people fed in a quick, simple, easy way with something that most people generally like. I won't assume the sister's intentions because I just don't know. But I think Sue had really good intentions. And uh, I think she handled herself pretty well in this situation because she just made it work for what people wanted. And that's always going to be a great baseline to fall back to. Pizza at it again. Thank you for adding yet another twist to the pizza toppings question. Thank you so much for sending us your etiquette questions. We could not do this show without you. So please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today's feedback comes from episode 145, I Cut You Choose, where we talked about divvying up pastries at work. Jonathan writes, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Love your podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. I listened to this one with great interest. I like your reply about the person arranging for these pastries to do the pre-cutting. Just as I thought to term it before I heard Lizzie say it, great minds think alike. The only thing I'd add, and if I missed hearing it, I apologize, is that this is all about the company culture, where culture is often described as how we do things here. (laughs) It could be that Lauren is the outlier here and that most of the others and or the org's expected practice is to have folks enjoy smaller bits of a variety. But unsaid and unfacilitated may be the problem. So, yes, pre-cut neatly and tell folks how much you hope that all get to enjoy as much or as many bites as they wish. Oh, and I'm with Lizzie on her preference. Sorry, Dan. I, too, love to enjoy small pieces of several treats. I love variety. I might eat less total. I am actually one of those happy to eat small bits, and I'm happy to be totally delusional and think that the calories are somehow less. Keep up the great work. All my best, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. I dig it. I also love it when... um, Someone agrees with you completely and thinks I'm wrong. No. I like how lightly Jonathan's thinking about this, that it doesn't have to be fraught, that it's just like, hey, you know, we're thinking about, you know, four pieces a person or, you know, do what you feel like. Like, it doesn't have to be set up as a big rule. And I think that's going to help out our next listener who had this piece of advice. Totally different perspective on it came from Joyce. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a great fan of your podcast and wait eagerly for each new episode while getting 10,000 steps per day. Way to go, Joyce. I have learned a lot and think your advice is spot on. However, I also appreciate that you're open to feedback from your loyal fans. So I am writing with the greatest respect from a different opinion regarding episode 145, You Cut, I Choose. 
It took me by such surprise. I had to listen to it more than once. Uh oh. You advised the company to establish a policy regarding how to eat the free pastries. Each employee take only one or cut them in quarters before making them available or let others cut them up themselves. I'm a manager of a large office, and the suggestion to create a policy on how to eat free pastries stopped me in my tracks. What is the expected outcome? Assign someone to police the pastries to ensure the policy is being followed? Are employees to report their coworkers if someone sneaks a whole pastry when the policy allows for cutting them? You can see how this could get out of hand. As a manager, if how we eat the pastries came to the point where a policy is needed, my first inclination would be to stop providing them at all, as I feel the spirit in which they are given was forgotten. As adults, employees, take a whole one if you so desire. Cut them if that works for you. And if you come by the box of pastries and you're not happy with what's left or how they look, pass on this month's, in capital letters, GIFT, and try again next month. Don't make the company create a policy for one more thing. We already have way too many that are too hard to follow and oversee. Many thanks for the opportunity to share my thoughts. I can't wait for the next episode. Your avid listener, Joyce. I just, I had to laugh because it's such a great perspective. Like, I want to work on Joyce's team. Yeah, right? Um, Joyce, I apologize. My intention was not to make you think of this as a hardcore policy that needed to be policed, but more so that just like Jonathan was saying, you want to put your intention out there for about the number of pastries that you're expecting people to be able to engage with. And that's only to give a reference point. Definitely did not expect this to be a policy that gets policed. This is just more one of those policies you put out there so that then people can kind of know it's there and maybe judge themselves against it. But you're right. Nobody's going to care if they skip altogether, if they take a whole pastry, if they cut one in half. Like I started to hear my mom's voice about halfway through this. If you can't share these pastries, (laughs) we're going to take them away. Anyway, two really great perspectives. Thank you, Joyce and Jonathan, for both sharing them with us. And we are so glad to have your thoughts on this show to expand our advice. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next thought or update. Please do keep them coming to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Hey, it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript comes from my awesome cousin, Dan Postsenning. And he is going to be talking and bringing us a new series called Etiquette Philosophy. No, the philosophy of etiquette. No, etiquette philosophy. No, the philosophy of etiquette. We could ruminate on what sounds better. I'm liking the philosophy of etiquette. Okay. We'll call this uh, part one of a little sub-series within our postscript segment of the show. I love show. it. Take us away, Dan. The topic for our first philosophy of etiquette segment here within our postscript is the social contract. And the idea for this particular philosophy of etiquette segment came from the Partially Examined Life. I was listening to the episode where they talk about Hobbes. And this is a, a conversation-based podcast where they discuss philosophy. And it allows a rank amateur like me to get a little <laughs> window into the world of philosophy. Big and- thinkers and interesting ideas. You talk about the social contract and you sent me this awesome little video on it. And so we are going to post a link to that. We have this great little video so you can familiarize yourself with the characters we're about to talk about and the social contract that we're going to discuss. Dan's going to bring us the etiquette angle. 
the social contract is this idea that we enter into agreement with each other to abide by certain rules and that we do it for our own benefit, that we do it to to create a world that we would all rather live in. And this idea really comes from three Enlightenment-era philosophers, Hobbes, Locke, and Rousseau. And oftentimes people will talk about Hobbes being sort of the first. He published in 1651 a book called Leviathan, and in it he talks about the state of nature, the condition that man exists in before he enters into the social contract. And I'm going to read from the Wikipedia entry a little bit about what Hobbes says. Hobbes famously said that in the state of nature, human life would be solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Yeah, we'd kill each other and be done with it. In the absence of political order and law, everyone would have unlimited natural freedoms, including the right to all things. There would be an endless war of all against all. To avoid this, free men contract with each other to establish political community, i.e. civil society, through a social contract in which they all gain security in return for subjecting themselves to an absolute sovereign of some sort. Sometimes this was a single ruler. Sometimes it was the assembly of man or some sort of democratic rule. So Hobbes had this idea, very enlightenment area, reasonable idea that we enter into this agreement with each other to improve the condition of our lives so that we live together in a state of greater harmony. Now, his idea that our state of nature was brutish, solitary, and difficult that we'd go to those tendencies if left on our own. Was a little different than two other philosophers really? who looked at the idea of the social contract. So I think of Locke and Rousseau, okay. John Locke and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, <laughs> as sort of the, the softer, gentler version of this idea. And they published a little later, and they argued broadly, this is the idea, that we gain civil rights in return for accepting the obligation to respect and defend the rights of others. Boy, giving up some sounds, freedoms in the process. I was going to say, that sounds kind of etiquette to me. It's a little etiquette starting to creep into some etiquette territory. Going on All in the right. Wikipedia article, the yeah, central yeah. assertion of the social contract approach is that law and political order are not natural, but are instead human creations. The social contract and political order that it creates are simply means towards an ends, the hmm. benefits of the individuals involved. Now, Both of these sort of schools of thought about the social contract are that we enter into it to improve the quality of our lives and the experience of our lives. The difference is that Locke and Rousseau think that that state of nature that we're departing from is a little kinder, gentler place. Locke and Rousseau both think that in our state of nature, we're moral creatures. That we're not just out to like pillage and plunder and and like kill each other exactly we might actually have a chance at like walking in the same like path together nicely what i love (laughs) about these two schools of thought is that whether you think our basic nature is brutish or is maybe a nature that also has some good to it some (laughs) some innate good (laughs) that there's always a benefit to our collective agreement to work together well to live together by a certain set of rules or customs or laws. And to me, this is very etiquette-y, this <laughs> idea that there are certain conventions, certain expectations of each other that we agree to adhere to, but that we do it in the pursuit of a better life. I love it. Count me in for anyone who wants to try to pursue a better life and allow the people around them to do it too, you know? As soon as I start thinking about it, and this is where it gets a little philosophy-y, this is a very Enlightenment-era approach. It's a very reasonable approach to this idea. It's a thinking man's approach. There are more emotional approaches to this same idea. It also reminds me of 
of Freud or psychological analysis where we have base urges and that the process of socializing ourselves as we get older is a process of learning how to not act on every base impulse that we experience but that we learn social conventions. It also reminds me of Joseph Campbell who looks at myth around the world and looks at myths in different cultures and he works under the assumption that the human being is a social animal that it's a basic fact of all of our lives that we have to live together and that that fact forces our our mythological understanding to be one that teaches us morals about how we live together. I really like those sort of poetic (laughs) approaches to the same territory, but I also like the very reasonable analytical approach to this idea that the reasons that we agree to live together and by certain rules can be examined as well. It's amazing to me that... You've got so many millions of people on this planet and the idea for centuries upon centuries is that it is not good. It doesn't benefit us to kill each other, to hurt each other, to steal from each other, to be disrespectful, to be these things that like for so long, as long as people have been tribal and living in groups that like there's this idea that somehow being nice and kind and helpful is a good thing. Being hurtful and, and like, cutting of, of the people around you or, or tearing them down in some way is a bad thing. I just, I, I go way basic on it. That it's amazing to me that just that simple element of good and evil is present in this social contract and in the idea of humans existing at all. There is a benefit to our agreement to work well with each other. Yeah, we keep living. Sorry, it's just a really basic benefit, but I feel like it should be stated. (laughs) I've got to say, you're very Hobbesian in your approach here, and I love it. I don't mean to be. It's like when you really get down to the basics, like, it's amazing to me that we can walk next to each other in life and not kill each other. One of the things I love about a philosophical discussion is I find it takes my thinking back to those basics. And again, rank amateur. This is a, a, (laughs) a, a, a tiptoeing up to some very deep waters, but we wanted to share a little bit about where the social contract comes from. We hope you enjoy this first little walk through the philosophy of etiquette. Hey, we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms, and today's comes on the winds of tragedy. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I want to make an etiquette salute to my neighbors in Bellevue, Nebraska. After two tornadoes in the area, there was wind and hail damage to several trees in our area, in addition to losing power for two days. My neighbors helped each other remove and break down tree branches, brought back lunches for everyone, and shared generators. I feel lucky to have such thoughtful and generous neighbors. I have heard many similar stories shared in the news this week, and it is uplifting to hear about these kind actions during a difficult time. Best Anne. Anne sent this back in June um, when there were a few more tornadoes happening regularly among the, the Midwest and West. And I love hearing people sharing generators. I mean, when your power's out for two days, you know, and you don't have the generator looking across the the way to the neighbor whose lights are on or whatever. It's it's really amazing when neighborhoods come together like that. And sometimes when things are at their worst, we have the opportunity to be our best. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. 
Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next question, comment, or salute to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please do help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. This is a true story. The names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty.